and welcome to the Hume podcast where we sit down with people from our community and discover what makes Oldham Hume Grammar School the special place that it is. Alongside our teaching staff, students, alumni and parents, we discuss the topics that really matter to us and delve deep in the heart of our school. In this, our fifth episode, we're talking to two of our teachers who play important roles in making sure all our pupils reach their potential, Hannah Plews and Richard Williams. Hannah is our academic mentor sixth form, Oxbridge, EPQ and gifted and talented coordinator. Richard is our head of learning support. Welcome to you both. Perhaps we can start by hearing more about what you both do. Hannah, can you tell us about your role as gifted and talented coordinator, please? Yes, so the gifted and talented coordinator role was actually just created this September, even though a lot of work has been done, you know, for many of our staff. But this role is is meant to be working with all our children, right from the young ones up to the sixth formers. So it's very new, and I'm hoping to influence three key areas with the support of all the staff. And that's looking at things whole school, a whole school strategy of gifted and talented, what's going on in the classroom and our extracurricular provision as well. And also I very much see it as being about stretching all our students, as well as thinking about the ones that are maybe seen traditionally as the most able, but how we really challenge everybody. So yeah, that, that, that's the role. I have a few priorities going forward for, for this year. One of them being working with our year six students and our year 10 students together. So I'm quite excited about that. Thanks for that uh, great intro. I'm sure we'll delve deeper into some of the points that you raised uh, slightly later in the conversation. But first, Richard, um, tell us a bit about your role as head of learning support. My role is quite a large role in school. I'm responsible for looking at the uh, special educational needs and disability provision across all the school, across all ages. So that's from right from the nursery up to sixth form. I'm lucky enough to have two excellent members of staff as well who support me, Erica White and Maria Wall, who support me in uh, nursery and infants and in the juniors. So. That sort of allows me to work in the senior school a bit more and they will focus more on the younger students. So I look at making sure the staff are able to meet the needs of students in lessons. If any extra provision is required, then I'll be responsible for coordinating that. I look at access arrangements for GCSE and A-level exams. So, for example, ensuring students get 25% extra time for their exams following the JCQ guidance. And finally, I work a lot with external agencies. So they may be agencies that are involved with particularly children and young people, such as health services, including speech and language services, and also local authority services. And also, we do have students with education, health and care plans, as well as EHCPs which some people assume but we do have students with those plans and I'm responsible for coordinating those as well. Thank you. You mentioned JCQ guidance. For those listeners that aren't aware of what the JCQ is, could you just quickly explain that? Yeah, yeah. So the the JCQ are basically the the body that look at how qualifications are run in schools. So they will set up the rules for um, the exam period itself and also the organisation. That's why we'll work quite closely with our exams officer in school to ensure that those regulations are in place, particularly for students who do have access arrangements for exams. So it's the Joint Council for Qualifications, that's what JCQ stands for. Lovely, thank you. So uh, here at Hume, 
team we're really proud of the fact that we work hard to respond to the individual needs of each student and you've both touched on that a little bit whatever their underlying natural ability in whichever area what do we mean at Hume when we talk about helping students reach their true potential and and why is it so important for us to do that Hannah can we start with you first yeah I think it's about knowing your students really well and I think that's something we do brilliantly here at Hume being quite a small school and small class sizes but 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 knowing them well and helping them realize what makes them happy what makes them tick what makes them fires them up in terms of different subjects or extracurricular or or, or what it is so, so they can get the most from school they can feel there's something that makes them happy coming to school and then they can leave us and pursue that in their career and in, and in later life. I mean, some students, they, they, they're the late learners. I know I was quite a late learner, and it wasn't until I was in sixth form I, I found the subject I was really passionate about, which was, was classics. And actually, some people find it when they're older. But if we can do that, if we can find that thing that really fires them up, I think we're doing, we're, we're doing an all right job. I mean, you have to give students opportunities and show them what's out there whether we're talking academic subjects or beyond the curriculum so they know what they like and they know what they don't like for me that's about finding you know helping them meet their true potential yeah I mean from a, from my perspective obviously um, Hannah looks at it from the gift and talented perspective for an SEN perspective we have to support those students, whatever their potential is. Some students will be aiming to get grade fives at GCSE, so that's in old money that will be grades C's, uh, fours and fives, and that we will help them as much as possible to get there. So, as Hannah has sort of pointed out, we will look at the individual needs of students. So I will have conversations, and Erica and Marie will have uh, conversations with the younger um, children as well about what they find difficult what their strengths are as well, what they enjoy doing in school and how we can help them as as teachers. We will have pupil-centred conversations rather than just make up sort of strategies for them to, to follow. And we put together common student passports or pupil passports which are shared with teaching staff and parents as well so they're aware of what the children have said to us in a one-to-one conversation. So it won't just be us leading it, the pupils will lead it so they will have some input into their own and teaching and learning themselves so yeah absolutely just just something that Hannah mentioned before she handed over to you and if you could both comment on it was this concept of offering students a broad range of subjects activities experiences so they can find where their true potential lies how, how important is that kind of introducing them to things that maybe they hadn't experienced at previous schools or in you know in, in previous educational settings one of the reasons i say that i I, I I was on a um a a teacher conference called northern rocks a few years ago and this young lad got up to speak he was a real inspirational speaker he was he come from a very deprived background in, in glasgow but he talked about being shown taken out of the city and shown an art gallery and he'd never been to one before and then he was talking about if you don't, if you're not shown what's out there, how do you know what you might love or not love? And you know, you you have to be shown these 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 things. And I think we've got so much going on here within the classroom and outside. 
that our students are very lucky. They can experience all, all sorts of things. So, yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's the reason I, I say that. And it, is, it, it just comes down to that, I talk, you know, I talked about being fired up and that, that passion that, you know, they, they, they can experience when they do find the one thing that they, they love. Do you understand what I mean? You know, mm. that if you don't show them, they won't know. I might be repeating myself a bit there, but, yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I, I know when I was at school, I, I remember vividly, even at the grand old age of 49, my very first trip to the theatre was with school and being blown away by the experience. And actually, when I've chatted to other, well, they're women now, but girls who were in my class, there are some that also remember that experience because it was the first first time and it started a you know a lifelong love for theatre which maybe wouldn't have been discovered until a lot later so yeah I, I absolutely get get what you mean Richard do you find the same thing about offering that broad experience and and sometimes students being surprised by what they actually find they enjoy doing Yes, I mean, with some students with SEN have quite low self-esteem at times. So if you can tap into what their interests are, it makes it a lot easier for them to start engaging with schools on the whole. I mean, I can give an example of one of our Year 11 students who found Year 10 quite difficult, actually. We made some alterations to her timetable and sort of reduced it slightly. And this Year 11 student has been involved with CCF, which Hannah is involved with as well. She's um, responsible for running, running it alongside uh, Stuart Ansom in school. And her, the way she's sort of approached Year 11, which is quite a high-pressure year, obviously, in terms of GCSEs, I mean, she has been superb since September. And that was just a matter of engaging her with the curriculum by reducing down the the sort of uh, the pressure we were putting on her in terms of subjects but also the extracurricular that goes with it has engaged her massively with school and she's made she's made huge huge progress since September since coming back and I think that's that's one thing that really we've we've helped her uh, to an extent reach her potential more than we were doing because of in a sense it is because of the extracurricular certainly how would you explain to someone who who wouldn't know how you measure what sort of support and encouragement different students need? I think you can, when you talk about measuring support and, and, and encouraging students, you can measure in all sorts of different ways. You can measure by hardcore results and data, can't you? And, you know, results are important. Neither of us would, would say that they, that they weren't here at all. And our students want really good results to make that jump from GCSE to A-level or A-level and, and beyond. So, of, of course, there's the assessments and results and things like that, but also measuring things by their behaviour, like what Richard was just saying about the Year 11 student, measuring it with, by their confidence, their enthusiasm, if they feel empowered. You know, it might be through the CCF or netball or because they get, you know, they're really flourishing in the subject. You can, you can see their confidence in, increase as well. Okay, so how would you measure what sort of support and encouragement different students need? Right, okay, so I mean in terms of the support, we have pupil-centred conversations with the children and young people. So Erica and Maria will sort of have conversations with the younger ones in nursery and infants and juniors. And then I would have conversations with the students in the senior school and we would put together what we call a pupil passport for those students. So they were able to say what their strengths are, what they enjoy doing in school, 
what they find difficult, if there's any particular barriers to their learning, and what is the best way to support them as well. So the good thing about those passports, and they are shared with staff and parents as well, the good thing about those passports is it's not just us saying what support they need. The children have, and young people have, some input into that as well. And that's incredibly important because it gives them a buy-in into their own teaching and learning, particularly if they've got an underlying need which they feel is affecting their ability to learn in the classroom. So in terms of measuring support, in terms of my role, I suppose it's not in the sense measuring it, but it's actually identifying it with the children. And one of the other things that we've sort of encouraged the staff to do is identify those needs as early as possible as well so we can put the support in place for them so one of the one of the things that we one of the things we will also need to do is look at identifying need as early as possible and when we when we have those children and young people sort of come from other schools so part way through we will have to identify those needs as, as early as possible that's one of the things that's a national issue with special educational needs is that at times that some needs are missed at a very very early age and that then will have an impact on when they're older. So we have to try and identify those needs as, as early as possible. And that sort of involves having conversations with the children, young people themselves, and the parents, and possible previous schools if they've come from elsewhere. So once they've got that support, then that's the, that usually then involves the encouragement for them to, to try and meet their potential, which sort of goes back to the previous question from earlier. And do you sometimes have to push really reluctant students to reach their true potential? Uh, have you got an example of, of a pupil who surprised themselves with how much they achieved? I think the word reluctant, I mean, sometimes, for, again, from an additional needs perspective, reluctant is, in terms of what we have to identify why they're reluctant in the first place. And with special educational needs, that often involves identifying a barrier that's causing them to become be reluctant. Mm-hmm. And it's removing that barrier that they have which will then allow them to meet their potential so from my perspective it's identifying why they're reluctant in the first place yeah I think that one thing I use with the, the sick forms at the beginning of the year is getting them to think about why they're doing what they're doing and having a vision and thinking about the, the the bigger picture and you know using that to mo- motivate them with their learning also with with all children I think they need to experience some level of success and that feeds into their motivation which should can overcome reluctance to learn them. So if they can feel that they are making headway, they are seeing some results, chunking things down especially and you know, getting them through that next hurdle so they, they experience the success, you, you, you can overcome reluctance and, in, and improve motivation for them. But you had, you had a student, didn't you, one in particular? Yes, I mean, the, a good, an example of a one pupil, it's, it's actually a, a child who was actually in year two last year and has now gone into year three. So one of the things that we found was that struggling with phonics and reading, and that was impacting quite heavily on his mental well-being as well getting upset quite a lot and getting frustrated and that was sort of being seen at home as well so when we looked into it one of the things that we identified when we had like a a conversation with the child is that one of the things with potential dyslexia is where 
a student will say that the, the words are moving around on the page. And that's one thing this child said. So one of the easy things to put in place is to look at what we call visual disturbance, which then results in an overlay. So you're changing the colour of the background of the writing or putting a specific sort of piece of plastic that's a specific colour over the writing. We identified that, like I assessed this, this boy and the effect it had was absolutely amazing. I mean, I, I was very surprised in just how much of an impact it had because now where he's at in terms of uh, reading and literacy in year three, he's actually at the top of his sort of group now. And that is just from tweaking just a small thing, which has had such a big impact in terms of his progress and meeting his potential. And he... I mean, I spoke to him the other day about just having a conversation with this little boy in year three, and he's so happy in school. He enjoys school, really engages well, and is and the, the staff absolutely love him to bits. So, I mean, using those, like getting over that initial barrier of finding things difficult to read purely for, because it, the words, he was struggling to sort of read the words on the page. I mean, even small, small interventions like that have a massive impact. And that's how you can overcome that reluctance thing from earlier, really. Reluctant readers, you can do small things to, to overcome the barriers that they're having in terms of reading. And we've, we've concentrated a lot on academic achievement and progress in that area. Now, I know, Hannah, when we, you've talked to us at Insets, you've, you've said that there's gifted students, which is more... The academia and talented students which is more music and sport so could you tell us how students who are gifted in music and sport and other areas like that are supported and encouraged yeah I mean at the beginning I mentioned that the role was new this year um, even though loads of brilliant work has gone on with gifted and talented students I think part of my role is drawing things together in a sort of co coherent way so one of my priorities is, is redoing, revising the gifted and talented register that we have. So it's a more dynamic and useful document. So I wanted to identify those that we see as academically gifted, including much more from teacher recommendations, not just baseline data, but also having those the recommendations of people that are talented in lots of different areas. It could be sport and it could be music, it could be in food technology, it could be in, as a cadet, in all sorts of things and having those, those recommendations. And then actually getting an overview of what's happening. So this is still a work in progress, but I know lots of great stuff has gone on. And then if we, if we get this overview, we can see what else could we provide for students that are, you know, are showing leadership here and, and are brilliant to public speaking and, and this and that because we have lots of visits that go out when, when we're not living through a pandemic visits that go out people that come in clubs societies competitions olympiads there's, there's just a massive stuff but i'm hoping to sort of gather it all into one picture by the end of, the, of this year and see what else we could provide for, for students in whatever way that they are you know showing great potential to support them so if a student was showing particular promise in an extracurricular activity what opportunities might they have to to further pursue that i've got like the netball team that do the national competitions and i think it, there's, a, there's a role there for me to work with teachers that are providing extracurricular to see what else we can do and if i can talk if i can talk about the uh, cadets 
for a minute, real passion of mine. We in the cadets, we have a rank structure and recently, we this week, we promoted six cadets that showed really brilliant potential, have actually taught other cadets. They, they are awarded badges, they can go on leadership courses um, and a whole host of opportunities. So it's looking for those kind of things and working with the teachers that deliver extracurricular of what else can be provided to, to keep their interest going, to move them on to, to the next level. Thank you. Something that, that, that strikes me throughout this conversation is that pursuit of excellence in whatever field that the student is, is aiming for seems to be this collaboration between student and teacher. But it, I guess it also includes parents. And, and how do our parents support their own children in, in reaching that true potential that we've been talking about? I mean, I, I mean I'm in contact with parents quite a lot in terms of in terms of supporting their children who've got an additional need in particular or where there's a suspected additional need as well. In some cases, don't have to have that many conversations with parents, but in terms of SEN, that's one of the, the really important things is involving parents with, involving parents with the support. So, I mean, when um, it's been very difficult during the pandemic, obviously, but, uh, before the pandemic, I did a presentation to parents on my role in school and how they can potentially support their children at home. And it was well attended by parents. And my my door is always open to parents as well. So if they need to speak to me for whatever reason, whether it's like an in-class, an in-class difficulty that the, the children are having, then, then I'm quite happy to have that conversation. In quite a lot of cases, we do find in school, we have a some students, particularly those students who are on the spectrum who present really well in school but is, the behaviour is different at home. So I'm always happy to try and support parents as much as I possibly can and to provide strategies to help them at home as well as in school. And um, I think that's incredibly important in supporting the child and getting and helping the child reach their potential. So, I mean, parents are, play an incredibly important part of uh, progress as well, meeting potential. Yeah, I think like Richard said that keeping that um, open communication, you know, with all stakeholders is is really really important. But parents support, can support, and do support in lots of different ways. You know, turning up to watch a, a sports match or uh, an awards ceremony, the, the 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 taxi service that gets them from here to there when there's something on after school, taking an interest in talking to their their child about you know what what's going well and what they're enjoying and stuff. But also, I think, supporting them in the sense that recognising they're, they're unique individuals and not to push them down a certain route, rec- you know, hearing what they want to do and supporting them in their interests and, and passions as well, I think, is, is, is equally important. So moving back onto the students, what, what qualities do you think a student needs to be able to develop in order to reach their true potential? a few things I've noticed down, noted down I think becoming self-aware and reflecting upon themselves of what of what's going well in their life as a student in school in the community you know where their interests are developing enthusiasm for something and recognizing when they feel excited about something and and, and curious and exploring that curiosity I think these these things are important and having resilience not not thinking everything needs to be perfect because perfectionism doesn't really exist and we all fail and we can learn through failure and I, and, I, and I see a lot of very able students that want to get things absolutely perfectly right and are a bit scared to fail 
But that is how we learn and failing can be good and learning is messy. So um, I think developing that resilience as well to failure is, is a good quality to have. Yeah, and, um, and I was going to say resilience. One of the other things as, as children get older, particularly if they've got an additional need, uh, students need to learn, particularly as they get into GCSE and A level, so into year 10 going through into the sixth form and then past sixth form potentially to university or employment, is having the ability to self-regulate their additional needs. Because obviously in school we, we will provide a lot of support, but we obviously want to develop a sense of independence in those students as well, particularly if they've got to manage an additional need that they have a, quite a lot of support within school. So a very good example of that is uh, students with ADHD. So we will give a lot of support and strategies and put those in place in school. But I have a lot of conversations with those individuals to say, we will do all of we, what we can to support you in school, but remember that when you leave, this ADHD isn't going to disappear. You've got to be able to think of a way of self-regulating in everyday life. And it's, again, not just sort of teaching staff how to sort of intervene and put extra provision in place for those students but it's also to help the student manage that those difficulties themselves particularly as they get older. It's clear that you're both really passionate about these areas of your of your work but if we can end on a, on a, a lovely light note what's the one thing that you enjoy most about supporting your students to be the best they can be? I've been teaching nearly for coming up to 18 years now. I mean, if you could see me, it's because you can tell by the colour of my hair. It's got my grayer. But, I mean, I've always had a passion for supporting students with SEN. And I used to teach at a school in the south of Greater Manchester before I moved to Hume about two or three years ago now. And one of the things that that school was in an area of 11 plus exams and I was teaching what we would class as a set what we call secondary modern in, in those kinds of terms and we used to pick up quite a lot of students who didn't pass the 11 plus exam and I always felt that they're the ones that would have been affected by that the most in terms of not just mental health but their own self how confident they were how self-confident they were and when you see that when I taught those students and had high aspirations for them, you could tell that that really engages them. And one of the things that I love about my job is that when you see the success stories, when you put those interventions and those provisions and you support those students, not just on a one-to-one -one basis, but you put things in place for them and they meet that potential. And it's amazing to see what kind of impact we can have as teachers on those students. And that's one of the, I think, the best things about my job, the thing I enjoy most is seeing the, when they get to a certain age. I mean, one, one student that I worked with here last year very, struggled quite a lot all the way through school, got to year 13. I put quite a bit of, I helped that student quite a bit in, in the final kind of couple of months before um, the grades were awarded and he has gone on to be quite a massive success story and that's that's made the, the hard work that you have to do in my role makes it all worthwhile in the end when you see that it's not not the money it's the actual impact it has on those on those children when they leave those students they leave and all the difficulties they've had they've got through it and you sort of support them as much as possible to get to that point so that's one of the the massive 
massive impacts on, on it on my job and I, that's what I love about it really. Yeah, I mean, I love working with students because they're all very different and they're, they're very funny and and can be quite frustrating and no, no day is the same to the next day. But um, a couple of things for me, I, I absolutely love it when, when a student get, is as geeky about their subject as I am about mine. It doesn't have to be the same thing, but when they show that real passion and curiosity for learning and they're so fired up, it's all they can think and talk about. I absolutely love those kind of conversations. Also, it's not like it's not an external thing, like a reward when they get a, a, an interview or an offer or something like that. It's like it's watching an, something that happens on the inside with with students when something clicks for them and and there's been a shift and, and they either get it or they they feel so much better. Like recently, we've 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 promoted a very shy girl in year eleven to be one of our sergeants in the cadets because she showed brilliant leadership uh, away on camp. And just seeing that change within her was so precious and so brilliant. It just it just fills you with an unbelievable amount of pride and and, and warmth. Without sounding too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> dafty, but. Um, yeah, lot, lots of moments like that, when you, when you see that internal shift, it makes everything so worthwhile. It certainly sounds like you as teachers get a lot out of uh, helping students develop their, their potential, uh, almost more than the students get. <laughs> but that, thank, you for, thank you for doing that across, you know, what's really a broad range of abilities and talents that our students arrive at Hume with, that, that lovely diversity that we see every day walking down the corridors. And thank you for sharing your, your stories with us today. Thank you. Thank it was you. a pleasure. Thank you both. So that was Hannah and Richard talking to us about student potential at Holdham Hume. Thank you so much for your time. And it's so exciting to hear just how much support students get and what reaching their true potential looks like for them. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.